if a lot of these businesses that we lend to, these are proven businesses, they're not startups, they want to get debt funding to grow, by not providing them the adequate funding, they just don't have the chance to become the corporates of the future. So you end up in this world where you're just dominated by the existing large businesses and they just get multi-brand and they just dominate every part of your life. And actually, I think that's a pretty miserable life. Rishi Kosler is something like a phenomenon, to quote LL Cool J, in the world of entrepreneurship. He has an impeccably good reputation, a track record of home runs to make Babe Ruth question his consistency, and yet he somehow also managed to keep a relatively low profile in amongst a backdrop of a remarkable career to date, which we would assume is more by design than accident. Is that right, Rishi? Yes, I would I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah, okay. So, you know, we've dragged him into the podcast studio today against against his will, but, you know, he's got a smile on his face. So today's secret leader is the co-founder of Europe's highest valued fintech company, having raised over a billion dollars in funding to date in only four years. He's one of the stars of the industry, building up Oak North to become one of the next generation companies to come out of London. But this is just his most recent headline. Rishi is a man who knows what he wants and has no time to waste in achieving it. He's the father of four kids, has been with his wife since he was 16, by which point he'd already completed his computer science GCSE at 11, his A-levels at 13, and he'd already received a master's from LSE by the time he was 20. And what have you done with your lives, listeners? Indeed, me too. Anyway, he's an angel investor and two-time founder. His first business, Copal, he started with his good friend, Joel Perlman, who somehow managed to match Rishi for intelligence and grit, having joined him as co-founder again in Oak North. So we've got a lot to cover, not too much time. Rishi, we'll start with the basics, start you off with some quick fire questions. Ready for them? Let's go for it. Japanese or Indian food? Japanese for lunch, Indian for dinner. Oh, mate, it's just not, not a man that likes to make decisions clearly, despite all the reputation. Make full decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Avian Ambro or GE Capital? GE Capital. Football or cricket? Neither. Oh, okay. Chill out, mate. Have some fun. <laughs> uh, fiction or non-fiction books? Absolutely non-fiction. Most used app right now? Mail. <laughs> Yeah, fair. <laughs> WhatsApp. Not, yeah, not surprising. Calendar. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Deserted on an island, you can take three things, and we know you've got four kids, so someone's getting upset. <laughs> <laughs> my kids are one unit. Yeah. <laughs> so fair. my wife, my kids. <laughs> what have you got left? Humour. Oh, you're gonna take. You're gonna pack your humour, are you? There you go. I have you got a bag big enough, mate. <laughs> right, let's kick off. So, early years before you were 26 and you started your first company, you probably had a lot of life experience to help shape you. So, where did you grow up? I grew up uh, predominantly in in England, um, but I did uh, spend a few of my formative years in India as well. Okay, take us through some formative years then. Like, you know, you've done a lot of things. You've got the classic Indian vibe of, look, I completed all the education that you English people have actually managed to complete by the time you're 30, but I've done it by 16. So you're already a walking stereotype where that is concerned. Well, take us I'm through your commenting Indi- on that. Yeah, take us through your Indian <laughs> upbringing then. Pushy parents? No, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I, I Not think... Not unpushy parents. No, I had, look, I had um, dedicated and committed parents. Um, so my father used to basically worked two jobs and um, I used to see him working until midnight 1am every morning and be out of the house again at 7am and that just sort of infects you in a particular way where you start developing your own hunger I guess right and they were always my parents were always very aspirational in terms of their approach to life and again that aspirational approach is rubbed off Um, unfortunately I just got a very large dose of it. Yeah. And uh, take me through GCSE at 11. You're not like, am I, am I a midget? What's going on? Did your parents just lie to you about your age? 
look, I I like playing with computers, right? And um, I, I like to be different. I like to do do the things which I enjoyed. And I figured instead of just playing with computers, you may as well get get a leg up. And and that's why I decided to go ahead and and, and start studying at the age of ten for my GCSE. And I did it at eleven, as you said. Yeah. How's that stuff rubbed off with you now? You're a parent, so you've got four kids. What are the ages? Um, they range from six to fourteen. Oh, right. So they're all at Cambridge. They've just graduated. And that's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, I'm trying to push them that way, but, you know, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just not working out at the moment. <laughs> and clearly, I'm, I'm not executing as much as I yeah, should Yeah, exactly. Do you need to speak to your father, <laughs> get some tips, you know, see you actually what worked. Um, okay, so you went on to work at ABM Ambro before moving to GE Capital, yep. um, and you were given the chance to pitch directly to Jack Welsh, mm-hmm, I've, mm-hmm. I've read and heard. Yes. Talk to us about that. Sure. So I guess context, just in case anyone doesn't know who Jack Welsh is. Sure. So context is Jack Welsh was the guy who is credited with building GE into into what I would say the highly successful company that it was before the last, call it five or six years. I joined the central um, strategy acquisition group in Europe, which is like the corporate function in in Europe. Um, And I was the youngest person there. I was like probably 23 when I joined. And so everyone else was effectively sort of um, managing director, director type level. And the firm, IEGE, had uh, made a very clear sort of pitch to say that we're behind on e-business. We need to we need to get ahead and therefore we need to be doing things differently. Jack Welsh was doing his av- annual um, sort of trip around Europe um, and meeting all the businesses, et cetera. And um, we came up with the idea of pitching an early stage venture fund, which GE would actually take stakes in tech companies and then have uh, GE businesses join the boards and through that sort of get some infection in terms of what's, what's happening in that world. Um, so I pitched that with a, um, with a colleague of mine to Jack um, and his words were, take 25 million, go and spend it. Don't ask anyone, come and see me once you've spent it. Fair play. I mean, that's the kind of answer you definitely want. But 25 million is a drop in the ocean as well to someone like GE as well. So, you know, what, what did you decide to spend it on? Um, so we invested in um, tech businesses in, in the US and Europe and in Asia, um, which is quite ironic, given that we were based out of London. And obviously, GE had a large private equity business in all of those regions. And and look, some of those some of those investments obviously did extremely well. And as with venture, a couple of them didn't. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if most of them did well, and a couple of them didn't, that's not really go. mostly with venture, is it? It's usually <laughs> the other way around. But so let's just say that you've done a, a good a good track record as a starting point. So that was your first um, proper area of responsibility then? Yep. Yeah, and what did that feel like at that age? Can you can you remember? I mean, um, as as most of my career How old has. Fourteen. Uh, <laughs> Twenty three. Okay, um, drinking out of fire hydrants, as I always put it. Right. So you you've got so much coming at you, you just can't you can't absorb it all. Um, but it's a hell of a it's a hell of a ride. Yeah, and did you get an opportunity to sort of follow up with Jack Welsh and tell him, you know, how well you've done, and you know, I mean, or, I, mean I say tell him how well you've done. I mean, like there's the area of recognition. How can I put it? I guess I, I've always been sprinting through life. Recognition hasn't been what I focused on. I focused on results. Yep, fair enough. So you don't have any sort of um, yearning for peer. Um, well, yeah, recognition is the perfect description for it. There's never been that sort of opportunity or moment of reflection. I mean, no. Yeah, no, fair. No. And you, you had your next boss as well, right? So you helped establish the family office of the steel magnet uh, Lakshmi Mittal. Yes. What was that like? That was incredibly, incredibly fun again, right? Totally different from GE. GE, you've got a large corporate structure. You've got um, all the mechanisms and, and support functions that you'd, you'd expect in a large corporate. Working with a, with a highly successful entrepreneur, 
and in helping establish the family office type environment, et cetera, is just totally the other end of the scale in terms of structure, organization, et cetera. But immense fun. I mean, I was spending a week a month in the Bay Area, a week a month in India. Um, so literally sort of like hopping between sort of continents. And I was investing predominantly in both in both the Bay Area and in India. And just just absolutely incredible experience and learning because obviously that was also through uh, 99, 2000, 2001. Um, so you saw the boom and you saw the the come down from the boom, I the bust. So just incredible learning and um, obviously invested in some phenomenal companies behind some phenomenal entrepreneurs. Um, obviously, Peter Thiel, Elon Musk at PayPal, and then um, a company called India Bulls in India um, and a few others. Yeah, amazing experience. So how old were you when you were meeting and how old were Peter Thiel and Elon Musk when you were meeting them? I can't remember how old they were. They must have been late 20s, I would imagine. Um, and how old was I? I was 24. Yeah, so like around the same age, right? Yeah. And what were they like when you met them? You know, at the time, building something new, right? So totally. not, not the big reputation no. that, now no. of a career of successes. So what, what was Maybe it kind not. of like? I mean, look, they, they, were, they were clearly very strong entrepreneurs. That's why I decided to put money behind them, right? But clearly they've, they, they've gone on to prove that they're that they're worthy of, you know, very large things, clearly. I mean, PayPal was clearly just the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And do you remember, like, who you who you sort of vibed with more? Was it more Peter Thiel? Was it more Elon Musk? I mean, the, the investment we actually ended up making was in X.com, which was Elon Musk's yeah. business, which okay. actually got put together with yeah, Peter's yeah, yeah. business. Okay, so I guess you had more of a vibe with him. Well, that's just that's just where yeah, that's, we ended yeah. up going in. Understood, understood. Have you been able to stay in touch with either of them, or just I, like... I am not in touch with either of them. No? no, okay, fair enough. Do you think you'd learn a lot from the way that they behave and uh, act? As such such different kinds of entrepreneurs now. Look, I think I think you can learn from anyone almost, right? And clearly, the the experiences that they've had, you can absolutely learn from that. Um, and like you say, totally different entrepreneurs today. Yeah. Fair enough. And uh, any sort of, well, I, you don't seem like the type of man to have regrets, but I'll let that come out of your mouth. Any sort of regrets or uh, reflections on opportunities to invest in their future ventures? Obviously, they've gone on to some incredible things. I, I, I look forward in life. Very fair. It has a healthy, healthy response. Okay, so um, what about India Bulls? So did you have to, what was that kind of experience? That's obviously a massive company as well. So so massive company. Um, they, I mean, I seed funded them when literally there were there were three of them in the basement of um, their house. Um, so that was incredibly early stage. Again, phenomenal. I mean, um, very strong entrepreneurs. Um, obviously, some recent haircuts for them, but I mean, had had whatever, nearly two decades of just phenomenal growth. Um, so very close to to both stories. And again, seeing those businesses being built, again, drove a lot of my hunger in terms of what is possible, right? Because when you see companies like PayPal, et cetera, sort of scaling, et cetera, and you're close to those, you just say to yourself, well, I mean, like, anything sort of possible, yeah. right? Yeah. They create a very strong reference point for me, I guess, in my life. And just trying to understand or make sense of the opportunity that you really had, what what budget did you have? What kind of directive? What kind of freedom? You know, how much control did Mattel have on it? You know, how does a... Take, take us through a very, like, brief history of that particular family office operation because you always... Sure. I guess venture capital, you know, there's only a few different ways they run. Everyone kind of gets a vibe. Family office, I mean, that really doesn't mean anything in the sense of everyone chooses to run theirs differently. So how yep. was yours run? I mean, look, generally it was a memo through to, um, through to uh, Mr. Middle and his son, Aditya middle and um and then a phone conversation um so it was a relatively quick and formal process 
and decisions obviously made within whatever, same day, next day, etc. But I guess a lot of reliance on my recommendation. Mm. And was there a budget or was it just like go find companies and if we feel like it, we'll feel like it? No real budget. Amazing. That's pretty cool. Do you actually realize how awesome that was? Like on reflection? It's rare, right? Look, I, I've been blessed. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Joel. Uh, my co-founder is also called Joel. We're going to focus we on go. yours. I'll, I'll call mine Joel then. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it sounds, sounds a bit like a character in Superman, if you say that. So uh, how did you guys meet? So we met at the LSC. We both did our Masters in Accounting and Finance together in 96-97. Um, and that's that's where we know each other from. And oh. I guess 96-96. What actually attracted you to each other from a business point of view? We were very good friends through the LSE. Um, Joel went out um, and then joined McKinsey and then started a, a, a firm um, based out in Miami for Latin America, etc. And he was coming to a point where he'd sold that business at the same time that um, I started thinking about what's next, sort of um, I my own desire to be an entrepreneur and build an operating business. So we'd always stayed in touch. I'd actually invested in his in his firm as well. Um, so we'd always... With your own money or with Mattel's? With Mattel's money. Yeah. So we'd always sort of built and maintained the relationship. And therefore, for us, it was natural to at least have the conversation around what is next and whether there's sort of a common path for us. Were you nervous about, you know, the potential pitfalls of running a business with a good friend? No, didn't think about it even twice. Really? And did you have any sort of ideas? If it wasn't Joel, do you have any ideas of like who else you might be starting the business with? Did you have like a list or was nope. it just like, no, nah, I nope. just think it would be Joel? No, I'm, I'm generally a plan A type guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm getting that vibe. What was, who pitched who? What was the idea? I mean, look, we we both had the conversation with each other and Joel came down to, to London um, and he said, look, I'll spend a couple of weeks and, and let's see where this goes. Um, we spent a couple of weeks together and um, we sort of said, there's something here. We got our first client and we said, what do we do now? I guess we're going to start this business. <laughs> what, what was that business? So talk to um, us about Copal. So, what's, what's the insight? What's the opportunity? So, so the business was fundamentally around how do you look at the research function or the type of analytics which uh, are done at large financial institutions. And I'd been through that clearly at ABN Amro, et cetera, but a lot of my friends had sort of been to many of the other large banks. And you sort of say, for the work you do, and the output you produce, there has to be a better way to get to that output, right, in terms of both quality, consistency, cost, etc. So our whole hypothesis was that if we set teams up in India, we could probably build a much more robust process of doing a lot of that analytical financial work for financial institutions, better, faster, cheaper, right? Um, so that was that was the whole concept. And, and obviously, um, it you was... Right. <laughs> <laughs> Time proved out that that we were right. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. 
Banter automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanter. Just head to vanter.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Take us through that journey. What's the snapshot of Copal? Okay. You know, when did you start it? When did you finish sure. it? How did you exit it? Sure. Uh, were there literally any bad moments? I know you don't look back, but I'm yep. going to try and access this thing you might have called memory. See if we can, <laughs> see if we can get anything okay. from you. Started 2002, exited 2014. Started with obviously just Joel and myself. And we used a total of £40,000, $60,000 to build the whole business. So that was a total amount of capital, which we used, built it up to a 3,000 employee organization when we sold it to Moody's in in 2014. You look at the end of 2002 is when we started. So 2003, 2004, 2005. 2005 is the first time we even got to a revenue amount more than what I was used to taking as compensation salary back in 2001, right? right? So we went dry as I call it, for, for multiple years. Um, so almost like uh, living off vapor. Um, so my wife was um, uh, servicing our mortgage on, on our apartment. Joel and his fiance lived in my apartment, my two-bedroom apartment with us. Um, so we were, we were literally working all day, working all night, one or two weeks, uh, one or two days a week, we wouldn't sleep uh, because we'd, we'd sort of be pitching during the day with clients and we'd be doing the analytics work ourselves because we couldn't afford to set up anyone up, set up an operation in India, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then we, we then started hiring interns um, to do the work with us. And then when we got to a certain level of scale, then we said, let's send the interns to India and actually switch India on. And that's how we built it. So we built it brick by brick with, um, you know, sort of uh, sweating blood, as I, as I put it, um, the, the really hard way. But the discipline that gives you in terms of getting all the fundamentals right, uh, making sure the culture's right, et cetera, is, is just amazing. So, um, so, so, so that, was, that was how we built it. And obviously, it was an experience that we had building that business which then informed or, or planted the seed of the idea for Oak North, um, which was which was trying to go and um, get an overdraft facility from um, one of the large commercial banks here in the UK, being politely told where to go, and then going into another commercial bank and being politely told where to go again. Um, and but was this when? When was this? Was 2000, this during... 2005. So it was pre-crisis. Yeah. Right. Okay, sure. So this was 2005. Was like heydays, right? It's yeah. sort of like. Um, uh, things were things were booming, 
And a few months later, we went to one of our clients, um, the special situations, i.e. prop desk of City Bank, and um, they spent the time to analyze the business and they figured out that that actually the business had credit worthiness and um, did a $10 million dividend recap for us. Um, so where we couldn't get a few hundred K from commercial banks, we could get 10 million from an institutional player. And we said to ourselves, something's broken here. And as I said, that was that was very early on. Um, yeah, you're like, something's broken here. In about seven years, we'll pick up this post-it. <laughs> well, uh, uh, nine years, right? Nine years. Oh, yeah, fair. <laughs> so, um, and, and guess what? No one had solved the problem. Yeah, so, that's amazing, isn't you know, it? That's when we started thinking about it. That's super interesting. Did you find that distracting? As in, like, you know, you're obviously like a creative problem solver. It sounds like you both are to an extent, right? So was it... Um, distracting to be like, oh, God, like we're running this business. We're really passionate about it. We've sweat blood to make it work. But, oh, God, that acorn of an idea is sitting there in my mind. And fucking hell, no. if someone else fixes that, that's going to be gutting. No, no, just we're, no, we're just very focused. You have to focus on what you're executing on at that point in time. You need to have full conviction behind it. And and look, we had absolute conviction that that was that was a great business, and 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 the research business was. I mean, that's that's why we ended up building it like we did. If if you got sort of um, one foot out, um, some focused on something else, I I just don't think. I mean, when you're building a business, I think you need all your all your successes on sort of in full focus. As soon as you don't have that, you've just got diluted effort. Diluted effort produces diluted results. And did you have other great ideas like during that time? Did you just keep a list or was this like the one that sort of no, just I mean, came to I you? No, I mean, actually on the contrary, what we did is um, when we were coming to sell the business, we started thinking about, okay, what is the business we want to go into? And we literally just took white sheets of paper. We'd sit down, we'd sort of brainstorm. This was always on the list. There were lots of other businesses we looked at, but nothing that we had, I guess, equal conviction over. But we didn't want to, how can I put it? We wanted to make sure that we had thought wide around the problem rather than just jumped into the thing that, that was informed by a personal experience. So, no, we, we looked at lots of different opportunities. Okay. So you, you've sold your business. Any earn out? Did you have to sit around? Do you just like say well, goodbye day one? <laughs> so, so technically, we, we, we sold the business in two tranches. So we sold a, a share initially in 2011. And then the, and then the balance, we had, there was a put call structure. So there wasn't a, a traditional earn out structure um, because I don't like earn outs because I, in my view is 100% of earn outs go renegotiated. Typically not in your favor, by the way, as management. Um, so, so therefore- Hope everyone listening um we were we were advised pretty well a very smart lawyer in in new york um which was actually joel's childhood friend sort of advised us against turnouts and we and we set up a phenomenal structure for for the sale so um post financial exit we spent whatever three four months doing a transition and that was it take a holiday a weekend yeah yeah, just a weekend. Your wife's like, God, no more. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen you for 15 years. So <laughs> I don't want to spend three days with you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, did you do uh, you or Joel actually do anything extravagant? You had this opportunity, this space, anything like exciting, any sort of, you know, crazy purchases, a yacht, a Maserati, a new fountain pen? Pass. <laughs> Fair, nothing, <laughs> just focus. Right, next up then. So we started Oak North. Um, how long was the ideation process? So, you, you know, like from found, like founding the company, company's house, day one, on to where? Take us through the first year of that journey. 
Sure. So, so, so the idea, whatever, end twenty thirteen, beginning twenty fourteen, formed the company around that time time period, and that's when we we started sort of thinking about okay, how can the tech work, etc. We also started thinking about actually proving ourselves uh, in one market, i.e., the UK market, where we decided to set up the bank and actually build our own lending business. Um, so probably first meetings with Bank of England early twenty fourteen as well, and that. That went into obviously making making putting the application in in um, end of July, beginning of August, twenty fourteen for for the banking license and launching the business in September fifteen. Right. Okay. And the desire to do it in England is that just because you'd like been based here? You know, like do you look around globally and think where interesting opportunities were, or was it just always going to be here? So, so it was always very clear that we wanted to, that that we believed that we could build a tech platform to address this what we call the missing middle. And and I guess I I should explain where 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 Oak North sort of plays. Please. Right. So it focuses on companies which are in growth mode. Um, but which is somewhat proven. So where you're looking to borrow, call it from a million to 25, 30 million, that type of gap, where typically as a growth company in that segment, if you go to a commercial bank, they'll still treat you like a retail customer. Whereas we would argue that a lot of those companies sort of feel like they're more they're closer to a corporate or institutional customer, or at least that's where they want to get to. So these are companies which have turnovers from anywhere from one to a hundred million, right? So within and within, often the money goes on marketing and stuff anyway, which seems like it, a stupid well, thing to it do. It could for go on marketing. Or it could actually just go on capital expenditures. It could go on investing. So um, obviously. We've, uh, if you if you look in the UK, um, one of the consumer facing brands that, that that obviously we 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 provided debt funding to relatively early on was Leon, right? So take a Leon and they want to expand whatever X number of additional units. That's the type of funding that w- that we would do, and we've done that for and hundreds of uh, British companies now, which has led to the creation of about twelve thousand new jobs in the UK and about thirteen thousand new homes. That's a segment, as as I said, sort of what we call the missing middle. And within that, we've always said that that gap exists almost in every market, in every major market, right? And our decision was that we would want to address the the problem globally using the technology platform, but we did feel it was necessary to take one market and build our own lending business to prove that actually the opportunity exists. Our platform does what we think it can do, et cetera, et cetera. And why did we choose the UK for that? Because it was the market which we knew extremely well and we just so happened to live here. So it's just like convenient. And in 2015, you know, like being realistic, like London fintech capital of the world, not saying it's not now, but obviously it's considerably more complicated with Brexit to consider at the time. I mean, if you're going to start a fintech company anywhere, it'd be London, I guess. And look, I I would actually say that's still true today, right? I would say that um, London has such a phenomenal set of attributes, i.e. talent, open regulator, um, funding availability, all within close proximity of each other, right? And and that's that's a pretty unique combination. So even today, I'd still view London as the, the capital for fintech. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And also, regardless of whether I think it's fair, you're the one in the industry. I'm going to take your recommendation over my hunch. I don't know jack shit by comparison. Right, Rishi. Um, you talk about availability of capital in London, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, your biggest investor is Japanese from the Silicon Valley. So let's talk about that discrepancy for a second. Sure. So you let's took a, a billion dollars, correct? Well, a billion dollars is the total amount we've raised. Yep. 
Oh, um, okay. And from 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 our Japanese friends, we we raised about four hundred million of that. Right. Okay. And how did you get to meet SoftBank? Is it you know I hear very famous stories about meeting uh, you know Son, and uh, I'd love to hear your experience. Did you get to meet of, the man? Of meeting Son San? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I've met him multiple times. Yeah. What's it like? Uh, I mean, he's unbelievable. He's, I, it's, like, the story is just so incredible. <laughs> He's he's a visionary, right? I mean, he thinks he thinks bigger almost than anyone that I've ever met. Um, he thinks longer term than anyone that I've ever met, and he's clearly willing to put his money where his mouth is. So, so inspirational character. Did you find meeting him completely different? You know, like your the, the attitude when you're pitching for the vision. Do you find it a completely different kind of conversation to a lot of the other types of money that you were getting? Where arguably you probably had to justify a lot of things considerably more. It, it, in everything I've read about Sun, a lot of the pictures seem like they really are relating to the size of your vision and what you can do and contribute to the world with it, as opposed to having to go through all the details. So, so, so you're absolutely right. The interaction with Sun Sun was very much macro, big picture about the opportunity, the TAM, the size of the market, the unit economics in terms of how you'll actually how you'll actually make it work, and fundamentally about his view as of you as an entrepreneur, right? So absolutely, he focuses on the big on the big metrics. But let's be clear, the team that he's built, um, which obviously Rajiv Misra runs um, in the Vision Fund, is a highly technical and diligent team. They do a proper drains up. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's expecting to get, uh, was it, 450 million 400, from, from 400 million from Yeah, him. 400 from someone that doesn't do their due diligence. But I read somewhere, and actually you can clarify this for me, but I did read somewhere about your uh, your rate of returns of people actually paying their loans back. Uh, it's a crazy statistic, no? As in your success As rate. As in we haven't, exactly. So we, in terms of actually losing money, we mm. haven't lost any money. Yeah. And when you're lending, generally you lose some money. So I think from that perspective... Um, it somewhat goes to the fact that a, the credit process that we go through to actually decide who to lend to and then the way we actually manage our loans thereafter um, lead to good outcomes. And that's all done algorithmically? Well, it's all done using person and machine, right? Because our view is we don't, want, we, we don't believe you can write a 10, 15 million, 20 million loan purely based on an algorithm but we believe that actually using big data sets, using a certain amount of machine learning, using sort of um, data structures, et cetera, you can put that together to formulate a much deeper analysis than you otherwise would on a deal like that. So the type of analysis you would do if you were doing a $500 million loan and actually therefore end up making a better decision and still being highly efficient in doing so. And what is the the process then? I mean, is it something like, you know, you do all the, the hard figuring stuff out, the case of Leon, let's say, you have all the, the figuring out of whether it's a sensible investment, whether their plans to use the money actually stack up locations, all the different things. And then you decide you may be going to meet the CEO and see if he's actually got like the right kind of charisma or character or attitude. Like, is that is that the in-person thing or is it less so that? No, more or less. I mean, again, when we talk about our UK lending business, obviously when we're licensing our platform, out to other banks, we're fundamentally providing the credit analytics for them to actually underwrite themselves and to monitor themselves. And therefore, we're very much just around the analytics. But in our own business here, in our own lending business, we actually, we run all the analytics, then we actually have the clients typically attend credit committee. And therefore, you do exactly what you just said, 
you meet the CEO, you meet the founder, etc. And fundamentally, you get your questions answered and get it you formulate a view also on the people that you're, you're providing debt financing to. Fair enough. And you're making sure that if they're going on holiday, it's definitely never longer than two days either. There yeah. you go. Don't want, them, don't want them taking the piss. Right. So um, take us through the headline just numbers. Just to be clear, I always say I'm always on holiday. So my <laughs> yeah. life's a holiday. Well, okay. no. Okay. So yeah. just, just to clarify that point. All right. Well, let's ask a different question then before I ask this one. Like, when was the last time you actually went away uh, with the family? Look, I, I go away with my family all the time. Right, okay. Right? So um, my life is my work and my family, right? So I go away with my family all the time, but I'm working all the time, but my work is fun. So for yep. me, I'm always on holiday. I get it. I completely agree. I say the same thing and so do most of the guests, so I completely get it. But what was your idea of a nightmare holiday? What, like being by a beach? Like is, is there like a boredom? Do you like like city holidays, skiing, activities, or like sitting and relaxing? To be honest, um, I... Whatever I, you're told I, to do. I, I, no, I mean, <laughs> like I drive a lot, right? <laughs> As in I drive a lot of the decisions. But uh, I mean, everything, all of the above. Yeah, okay. So variety. Yeah. Okay. Um, coming back to the previous question, so uh, you're a clearly numerate gentleman. So take us through the headline numbers of SoftBank. So uh, sorry, not SoftBank. Well, oh, actually, you can do that as well if you want, but it's probably not your information to share. Uh, <laughs> what's Sun's bank code? <laughs> no, take us through Oak North's uh, headline numbers where you're at today. So if I look at um, total assets on the platform, um, we're in excess of 10 billion. And that's broken up by about $10 billion. Um, so if, if I give you an exact number, it's probably like $12 billion of total assets on the platform. $4 billion are actually our own assets, i.e. our loan book in the UK is, is circa $4 billion today. And um, the balance $8 billion is third party, i.e. where we're licensing our platform to other banks. And therefore, we're, we sort of have assets on the platform through them. The business has been profitable um, since, I mean, nine months after after inception um, or launch, I should say. Um, we hit cash flow profitability, paid back all the crude losses 24 months thereafter. Yeah. Because it's a rare thing. In, it's a rare thing in the uh, fintech scene to be a profitable unicorn, so to speak, you know, which sound like two two mythical characters mm. in one, a profit and a unicorn. I actually haven't heard of one. Are you familiar there are any others in this in the space that can claim that? I think if you look at all unicorns, not just fintech, um, there are, I think it's something like 5% or something, right? Um, which are profitable. Yeah. Okay. So you have this sort of elite club. Any fancy dinners you all host together? There's, there's like five of you. <laughs> You're like, where should we go, McDonald's? I, I don't do recognition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. Okay. So um, take us through the future. What, what, are you, what are you actually planning to do? I mean, is this like, do you think it's the rest of your life? Do you have a plan? Like when you, for example, you go in to pitch someone like, son, is it like, you know, what, what do you say? This is my life. I mean, this is this this is what I do. This is what I'm focused on. This is what I'm focused on building. I mean, if if you really step back and you think about the mission, right? If a lot of these businesses that we lend to, right? So these are proven businesses. They're not startups. They want to get debt funding to grow. By not providing them the adequate funding, they just don't have the chance to become the corporates of the future, right? So you end up in this world where you're just dominated by the existing large businesses that exist, and they just get multi-brand, and they just they dominate every part of, of, of your life. And actually, I think that's a pretty miserable life, right? Uh, so for us, actually supporting those small businesses and medium-sized businesses 
giving them the funding that they need to actually grow is a phenomenal mission. And also, those are the businesses which tend to drive employment growth and productivity growth in any economy, right? So they tend to be sort of the the lifelines and sort of the heart, if I can put it that way, of, of an economy. So for us, it's supporting those businesses across major markets across the globe. So for me, that's a pretty large um, endeavor. It is. It's awesome. I mean, as, as an entrepreneur who's been in that position, my last business, you know, where the only real opportunity, to be honest, is venture capital, you know, wish, wish this was around. And um, I love it. Um, okay. Coming towards the end, because you're a busy man, you've got credit committees to go to and all sorts. You know, we don't hear that from everyone all the time, but, you know, it's, it's a niche excuse. So I'm going to let you off and believe you this time. Um, what is a normal day or routine for someone like you? What time do you get up? 5.45. And what do you do? Uh, work out and do yoga. Uh, okay. And meditation. Yeah. At home? Yeah. Cool. How long have you been doing that for? Working out forever. Um, yoga meditation for probably the last 18 months or so. Uh, well, you only just realized you have Indian heritage in the last 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. I just realized Fair I enough. need some balance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, suddenly, that's why standing on your head upside down is a good thing to do yeah, exactly. in the morning. <laughs> to, to be fair, I just started yoga as well. I'm loving it. It's awesome. Normal. Um, okay. So how are you actually able to relax or unwind? Or are you just always relaxed and unwind? I'm always relaxed. Okay. Well, let's take it the other way. <laughs> have you actually ever had like a hard day, like mentally, as in like consider considered that to be just like what the fuck is going on i'm so down <laughs> basically are you human i think is the question so, i just didn't want to so answer it like do that. i have wtf days of yeah. course i have wtf days i mean every entrepreneur does right <laughs> what happens in your mind so, what happens but but do i do i end the day and say i'm down no because ultimately i think i learned very early on whilst i was building copal is that you just have ups and downs every single day as an entrepreneur so you don't get high on the highs and you don't get low on the lows. Everything gets muted, right? Um, again, in the early years of building Copal, as, as I've said many a time, I used to bite my towel literally every morning, right? right. Okay. Um, as We're getting some humanity sort of, here. Yeah, so, there is a reaction. There's so a physical like, reaction. Get to ready some... for this, right? <laughs> good, good man. I mean, you know, get ready for the fight because every day is a fight, right? But after years of doing that, it's sort of like you can have a really crappy day, right? And things go wrong. But you know what? It's sort of fine. There's always tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? What you do is you put on your boxing gloves and you go for it. And also you named your company with the word cope in it. I mean, you know, you've basically you've got it all, all registered in advance. Um, okay. What's the biggest uh, mistake you think you've ever made? Is there anything like reflecting? You're like that. It must be. As I said, I don't look backwards. Yeah, so no mistakes, only lessons. Uh, look, I, I probably make 10 mistakes a day, right? The, the trick is to, to get more right than you get wrong. Right. And to keep on running forward. So fair play. What's the biggest lesson you ever learned? What's the biggest lesson? Look, I mean, ultimately, you, you have to have high conviction. And if you believe in yourself and you have high conviction, you go for it. I mean, you know, anything's achievable. Right. Um, as I say to my kids, nothing's impossible. Yeah, I mean, these poor kids, I mean, you know, they're already they're already running four businesses each, obviously. Um, okay, take me through the most, like, who's the most impressive entrepreneur that you've met that you admire that you've actually gleaned some uh, insight from? That's a hard one. Because like I said, if you I'm not here if, to if, ask if you, easy questions, mate. If, if, if you just take if you just say the plot of what we just discussed, right? Yeah. You've seen the characters that have been that have sort of um, touched through through the last whatever couple of decades, and I'd say I've taken portions from all of them. I wouldn't embody one individual as as the individual which I've learned the most from or, or, or look up to the most. I think you can learn from from all sorts of people, and I've had very strong mentors in my life as well. 
um, who've who've absolutely guided me and helped me through, um, and I continue to have that too today. Um, so so that's not an answer to your question, but that's the answer which I'm giving you. Yeah, I wasn't expecting you to answer it. I was expecting you to give me the one you wanted. So we're, we're on the same page here. Um, you okay, you know oh, how this works. I, I've You've learned. done this before. I've learned quickly, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm a fast learner. Um, okay, other than the birth of your children, of course, highest point of your career or life? Meeting my wife, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, then other than that. <laughs> I'd probably say the lowest was selling my previous business, by the way, right? Actually, when when all the money had cleared, I was like... Oh my word! This is like I I just didn't know. I felt I felt the poorest I've ever felt in my life. The that's high. probably that's probably why you went back to it so quickly with Joel, well, right? <laughs> the highest. I don't know. Every day's a high. I mean, I, it's just like I say, mute. I did ask you to stop smoking that joint there as you soon go. as you walked in. But, you know. <laughs> okay, listen. Uh, we're gonna finish up because I know you've got places to go. So, what advice would you offer to any of our aspiring entrepreneurs listening today? What is the one thing you can leave them? Hunger. With? Hunger. If yeah. you have enough hunger inside you, if you've got the fire in your stomach, you'll achieve anything, right? It's just like the ability to say there's only a plan A and you're just going to go for it. You can only have that if you've got something fundamentally inside you, which is driving you towards that. And the and for me, it's it, it's hunger. Awesome. So stay away from those Leon chains, guys, because you've got to stay hungry instead. <laughs> Don't make it too easy for Rishi and Oak North. Rishi, thank you so much for coming in, mate. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week on Secret Leaders. board would run around and come up with ideas for deals. Management would be like, we're trying to run a business. And every time these acquisitions took place, it's a year of integration. I mean, it's not just, oh, we bought Lovefilm. You have to then sit down for a year and combine the teams, combine the tech. These are massively distracting obligations on the team who are trying to make money for all of us. So a good board and investor won't be throwing ideas all the time. We'll try and fend off a lot of stuff. That was from our live event, Both Sides of the Table, where we got a unique insight into the behind-the-scenes story of how Love Film, which we now all know as Amazon Prime Video, sold to Amazon. But this isn't just a one-sided story. We get to hear from both the founder, William Reeve, and their board venture capitalist at the time, Simon Cook, who together help us unpack what this journey was like from both sides of the negotiating table. As always, what you'll hear with us, you won't hear anywhere else. So tune in, or you'll miss out. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was brought to you by me, Dan Murray-Serta, producer Rich Martell, editor Harry Morton of Lower Street Media, and marketing by Hannah Russell of Mags Creative, and stunning visual design by our talented designer, Christina Naru of SmartUpVisuals.com. You can check out show notes, transcripts, and our upcoming live events on our website, SecretLeaders.com. If you've not yet, please hit subscribe, leave us a review, tell a friend, take a screenshot of this episode and add it to an Insta story. I mean, you know what to do. And tag us at Secret Leaders or at Dan Murray Serta, and we'll add you to our story in appreciation back. 
Rich and I put together secret leaders for free because we love our day jobs as entrepreneurs. But every time someone takes the time to share it, it means a lot to us. So don't forget, it's the little things like that that keep us coming back every week and every year into the studio. See you next week.